Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, I'm Nicole Holliday, a linguistics professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And I'm Ben Zimmer, language columnist for The Wall Street Journal. And this is Spectacular Vernacular, a podcast where we not only explore language, we also play with it. This week, our guest is Josh Wardle, a software engineer and the man behind the massively popular new online game, Wordle. And later, we'll try to stump a listener with a brand new wordplay puzzle. Hey, Ben, it's great to see you again. I know it's been a crazy few weeks for you. Uh, last time I saw you, you were presiding over the American Dialect Society's annual Word of the Year vote. Yes, WODI was a fun time. You know, we held it virtually for the second year. We had to go virtual, but we got a very nice uh, online attendance for our uh, Word of the Year vote. You know, we actually really kind of expand our our tech capacities to uh let everybody in who wanted to be there. But it was, uh, I think, a good experience all in all. Yeah, people were like busting down the virtual door <laughs> to, to get into Wody. <laughs> it was very exciting. And uh, on the last Spectacular Vernacular, we spoke with Peter Sokolowski of Merriam-Webster and Fiona McPherson of the OED about their dictionaries' respective words of the year. Uh, Merriam-Webster chose vaccine and the OED chose vax, but what did the Linguists and Dialect Society members go with? Well, the ADS, uh, American Dialect Society, almost went for vax. That came in second, but uh, the overall winner was insurrection. Um, so yeah, that was an interesting choice. Uh, one reason that it's interesting is because I noticed that when we get together to pick these words of the year, um, often there's a kind of a recency bias where... People are just more attracted to words that popped up at the end of the year. Um, and sometimes they forget about what happened at the beginning of the year. Uh, not for 2021. So, you know, the attack on the U.S. Capitol happened right at the beginning of the year. And it is still very much on people's minds a year later. Um, so, you know, this word insurrection, that's the one that people converged on in the wake of the attack to just try to make sense of it all. Try to make sense of this, you know, threat to democracy and and what it all means. And it continues to be a key word in our discourse. Of course, we have the investigations into the insurrection still going on, and a lot of concerns about what the attack could mean for future elections. Yeah. And it's worth saying, too, that we were voting on uh, January 7th. Yeah. Um, so it was right after the anniversary. And for the people that were attending the conference in person, we were in Washington, D.C. So yeah. maybe still a little recency, but I I know there was heated competition between a lot of pandemic words and the political and cultural words. So it's very interesting that the ADS went in a different direction than the two major dictionaries that we talked about before. I'm really looking forward to seeing what the word of the year is for 2022 when we meet again next January. Yeah, and we'll see if we can actually do that one in person, unlike the last two years. But in addition to your participation in word of the year at ADS... You are also busy with this larger conference going on at the same time, the Linguistic Society of America annual meeting, which was held right there in, in Washington, D.C. And, and I gather you got to see some great research, right? 
I did. Yeah, I actually presented my own work on how people hear and evaluate the different Siri voices um, and how this is impacted by the properties of the voice itself. So the quality of the voice. Um, but I also got a chance to walk around the LSA, the Linguistic Society, uh, and talk to a few other folks about their research. And I'm excited to share some of those conversations with you and the listeners. Great. Um, I went to the poster session on the Saturday of the conference, which was in a big room filled with posters about research. And I was able to record a few of the researchers telling us about their brand new work. And uh, I guess you saw a lot of posters dealing with not just Spanish, but actually like English-Spanish bilingualism, right? Yeah, I might have been a little drawn to those because it's <laughs> one of my interests. <laughs> um, but instead of me telling you about it, maybe I'll just let the researchers speak for themselves. Uh, so first up, we're going to hear from a team of researchers from Penn State. My name is Matt Carlson from Penn State University. I'm going to tell you about some research that we did with two undergraduate fellows, Emily Herman and Angelica Brill, collaborating with Annie Olmsted also. We're interested in foreign accents, and everybody knows that when you learn a second language, you usually speak with an accent. And one of the reasons for that is that you likely hear words in your second language differently because of your first language. Uh, in fact, sometimes you hear things that aren't even there. Uh, and Spanish speakers do this, which is why you might hear a Spanish speaker say, I speak Spanish. Spanish doesn't have any words with an S consonant at the beginning, and Spanish speakers tend to hear E, and as a result, they put it in when they speak English. So we're interested in when that vowel comes in. And we created a bunch of Spanish-sounding fake words. We had a Spanish speaker record them. And we played them for people with and without that vowel at the beginning to see when they could tell the difference. So from this work, Professor Carlson and his team ended up finding out that Spanish-speaking adults who are learning English actually hear an initial vowel in a word like school. So they're hearing school, And then they produce it that way. So they have... They call it like an elucidatory effect, the illusion of a vowel. Um, and this is because of the phonology, or rather the way that the sounds are organized in Spanish, carrying into the way that folks are hearing words when they're learning English. Um, importantly, though, this is not a phenomenon unique to Spanish speakers learning English. Any adult who's learning a second language will likely show that kind of influence or interference from their first language when they're second, because they're kind of mapping their old system onto learning a new system. Yeah, that is very cool work and like actually gets to how people process language, like the nuts and bolts of that. That's very neat. Um, you also talked to a couple of students from your alma mater, Ohio State, uh, about their work on how words get borrowed into Spanish, right? Yes. So actually, um, my BA is in linguistics and also Hispanic linguistics from Ohio State. So I was super interested to talk to these guys. Um, these researchers were interested in what kind of words can be imported from other languages into Spanish. Um, and there's three ways to do this, which I'll let them tell you about. So my name is Justin Pinta. I'm a PhD student at The Ohio State University, and I'm presenting with my, uh, with my colleague here, Hugo Salgado, and our project is about loan verb integration in Spanish. We built a corpus of lots of different loan verbs in Spanish from uh, across 12 different centuries and 24 different languages, and then we saw what the patterns were, and we ended up finding out that the so-called light verb strategy, which is a strategy in which you use a verb like to do or to make to adapt a loan. So in Spanish, we have hacer, so we could have a verb like to click in English, which would be hacer clic in Spanish. That tends to happen in code switching environments and not generally in stable loans. Um, so code switching when people are moving between Spanish and English, for example. Correct. Yes, absolutely. And hacer clic is actually a rare kind of exception to that because it is a stable loan. But in general, we don't see that very often. What we usually see, sticking with the click example, because we happen to have three examples uh, here, is something like cliquear 
or clicar. So basically, they found changes over time with respect to the way that words get borrowed into Spanish. So in Spanish, verbs all end in a vowel and R. So the options, as he mentioned, for something like click would be hacer click, to do a click, cliquear or clicar. And there's many fewer examples like the hacer click happening in the last couple hundred years. And they found that the type of borrowing is influenced by the types of context the words are used in. So if people are speaking English and switching into Spanish, they're more likely to say something like hacer click instead of cliquear. Yeah, and it's fascinating too. There's a distinction between cliquear and then just taking out that vowel and making it just clicar. Um, yeah, there's there's some complications related <laughs> to that too, having to do with the kinds of consonants that the the borrowing ends in, and it's very complicated. But the general pattern was very cool to see. Very cool, and yeah, I mean, languages are borrowing words from other languages all the time, but it's cool to see, you know, the exact patterns of how they do all of that. Absolutely. And finally, I saw a cool poster by a student at the University of New Mexico about how the meaning of some words is also supported by the way that they're pronounced. My name is David Paez from University of New Mexico, and I'm working on a research that is called Verbal Semantics in Phonology. Like when you say, for example, the word big, you would uh, use sounds in your speech to and, and your gestures to make it similar to the concept of big. So you would say something like, this is a big problem. Or the opposite is true when you say like this, this has, it's a small problem, so it's a tiny problem. You would raise your, your intonation, your pitch, and maybe pinch with your fingers and things like that, right? So that's the kind of uh, study I'm doing. I'm looking at how people talk to each other in normal conversations, no, no particular uh, restrictions there. And you see how people use gesture, their hands, their face, their body in general, and their speech, the sounds of speech, to reinforce or highlight some of the information that they are conveying in, in, in conversation. Yeah, now that's a very interesting connection there between word meaning and pronunciation and even gesture all being kind of together. And in his research, he's talking about how that works in varieties of Spanish, which I'm sure works differently from English uh, and how that all fits together, right? Yeah, so he gave examples in English for our Anglophone audience and the audience that he had there, but the same thing happens in Spanish. So he talked about, there's this word ahorita, which means something temporal. Some people think it means right now and some people think it means in a little bit. And the pronunciation can vary depending on which ahorita you're using. So it was very interesting to see that as well. Yeah, well, that's really neat. It sounds like you had a great time there at the LSA poster session. And, you know, there's definitely some exciting linguistic research uh, being conducted all over the U.S. right now. It was very fun to talk to these researchers and to get to do a little on-the-ground linguistic reporting. I was just going, shoving microphones <laughs> in people's faces, <laughs> which was great. Was really <laughs> that's fun. great. Well, thank you for being our LSA correspondent. After the break, our interview with Wordle creator Josh Wordle. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. 
After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome back to Spectacular Vernacular. Our guest today is Josh Wardle, a software engineer based in Brooklyn who invented an online word game you just might be familiar with. If you change one letter in his last name, you'll get the name of the game. It's Wordle. Back in October, Josh released Wordle to the world with a simple, elegant interface for guessing a five-letter word every day. And in December, the game went viral when Josh added a way to share results in the form of little colored blocks, which you may have seen all over your social media feeds. It's the little word game that could, with millions of people now playing it around the world. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thank you. Thank you, Ben, Nicole. Thanks for having me. We're super excited. So Josh, you're an artist, product manager, and engineer who's worked at Reddit, among other places. Uh, what inspired you to create this game? Was it just a pandemic project like so many of us have been dabbling in these days, or what, what happened? Yeah, so the goal with Wordle actually was to create a word game for my partner to play. So she and I got really into the New York Times crossword, and then she plays a lot of Spelling Bee as well. Oh, we um, we're big fans of Spelling Bee here. Oh, big fans <laughs> of the bee? Okay, it's a bit too much for me, to be honest, which is maybe Wordle's <laughs> a bit simpler, more my speed. But yeah, so I really wanted to, and she like plays these games, and we were really enjoying crosswords, and we've kind of graduated, well, not graduated, we've moved to cryptic crosswords now. We're really oh, enjoying those. excellent, uh, excellent. And uh, yeah, so I wanted to try making a game that she, she and I would enjoy playing together, and uh, Wordle was... Uh, yeah, it was the result of that. Um, I'd actually created it, a prototype of it back in 2013. Um, and it was pretty much the mechanics were the same. Uh, some of the big differences were it was endless play. As soon as you uh, finish one puzzle, you could move on to the next one, uh, which Wordle doesn't do. Wordle only has, you can only play it once a day and it's the same word for everyone. And then another big thing uh, with that original prototype was I didn't use any word list filtering. I just dumped every five letter word in the English language from like whatever dictionary I found online. And so th there are some very obscure words in the English language that I I've never heard of. Um, and so it was more, and, and so the solution could often be one of those words. So you, you would often end up kind of more like brute forcing or using your knowledge about how a word might be constructed. Um, so it was a very different game and I shared it with a few friends and everyone was like, yeah, maybe there's something here, but it's just like you play it for a bit and you put it down and never come, never come back to it. But so when I decided that I wanted to create a game for my partner, I had had this idea that maybe there was something there and I kind of brought it back up and I made some changes kind of more in line with games like the crossword and spelling bee and that really led to its success, I think. So, yeah, I mean, it's very cool. And like, I can see how it was inspired by some long-standing games, like people might know about Jado, which was this pencil and paper game created back in the 50s. And then, at least in the US, I'm not sure about elsewhere, there's a, there was a game show called Lingo in the 80s, and that got revived a little later on by the, the Game Show Network. So those games all in, involve, you know, guessing words by trying out other words and finding out which letters match. But Wordle really seemed to bring something new to the table. I mean, there's just something really pleasing about the design and the function 
that kind of elevates it. And um, I'm not quite sure. I mean, maybe you could fill us in and illuminate. What do you think that really just makes it work? Is it just you keep things so simple in terms of uh, the gameplay? Do you think that that's the thing that's the key to the success of this game? I mean, that's a really good question. I, so I used to work in Silicon Valley and I'm kind of aware of you know, the things that you're, especially with games that you're meant to do with people's attention, like you're trying to capture as much of people's attention as you can. So that involves things like, you know, endless play or right. sending them push notifications or asking them for sign up information. And I mean, kind of philosophically, I enjoy doing the opposite of all those things, doing all <laughs> the things that you're not meant to do, um, which I think has bizarrely had this effect where the game feels really human and just enjoyable. To, and, and that really resonates you know, kind of where we're at right now in the world and like yeah. with COVID and then also kind of trying to figure out like what is tech, you know, like what has tech become? I think that really resonates uh, with people and no ads as well, no monetization. I right. think all these decisions, like people ask me a lot about these things and it was like I was literally just making a game for my partner and I. I made some decisions that we would like. I think there are some things that I some subtle things that I think are Wordle does do uh, quite well. Like one is it will change the keyboard to reflect your state in the game, mm -hmm. which was uh, something that I came up with because I find it hard to move back and forward between the keyboard. And I think like that is a very subtle feature, but I think kind of changes the game a lot. It like really helps you play the game. And with all these kind of word games, it's kind of up to the, uh, creator how much help you want to give the solver and that just felt like a really nice simple way to like ease people on and, and I think a lot of people who don't normally play word games are enjoying Wordle because of things like that. Yeah, I really like the keyboard color change. Um, it feels like Wordle wants me to be successful. <laughs> so like, oh, we're all going to do this together. <laughs> um, another key to Wordle's success online has been the ability to share results. You know, when I first started seeing the colored boxes showing in people's Twitter feeds, I wasn't sure what to make of it. It happened very early for me because I know a lot of linguists and linguists were like very <laughs> excited about this. And I was like, what are these mystery squares um, in December? And there wasn't a hashtag or a URL, just the name Wordle with a score and then the yellow and green emoji squares. Um, did you design it that way to give the game like a sort of mysterious element and, and intrigue people or sort of what's the idea behind that? Yeah. So uh, first thing I have to point out, I did not come up with the emoji grid like Wordle as I built it um, and it got some, it got like picked up in a New York Times newsletter and people started playing it and there was no, this share grid that you're talking about didn't exist. And it got for some reason, which I don't fully understand, the game got big in New Zealand and New Zealand Twitter was playing a lot of the game and someone out there who I don't know, she's called Elizabeth S. I only know her on Twitter. She started recreating her solutions each day using emoji as a kind of spoiler free there are like slight spoilers if you really want to be pedantic about it but not really um uh, she came up with the emoji grid as a way of sharing her results with other people like previously people were just saying wordle in three and then she added this visual component that kind of tells a story like uh, every time you play wordle it's a bit of a journey right and it, it and the emoji grid really helps share that so I saw other people start doing it and they're manually typing out the emoji grid, like going back and forward and referencing it. So I'm like, I can make this, I can just pull this into the game. And obviously that's had a huge, uh, huge impact in helping it go viral. Um, not including a link was, again, one of those things that's like the opposite of what you're meant to do. Like if your goal is growth, 
then you should definitely include a link to your thing. But I, I and so I, originally I had a link, but when you share it on Twitter, it like tries to show a big like card preview of the thing. And I was like, it feels kind of spammy. It feels like I want them to share it because I get something. Just removing it made all that so simpler. They were sharing for themselves. And, but I do think you're right. A byproduct of that, which wasn't my intention at the time, is this kind of mystic, mystique. You know, you're either in in the know or not, and people kind of like that, like figuring out what they what they mean, or being infuriated by all these people posting colored squares on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I had a. Yeah. I, I think it's really fun. You know, it's sort of the spoiler free idea of it. I my partner started playing after me, and we didn't talk about it. I just saw him start posting his results, and I was like, oh my god, now we have to talk about this. And I sent him my results one day, and he was like, what the heck did you guess? in like the third round that you didn't get the answer. And it was the day where the answer was drink. And I was like, oh, this is a British game. So I guessed prink. And he was like, what is that word? Why did you okay, miss drink? <laughs> but he saw that I had everything but the first letter and just <laughs> like went the wrong way. So it was kind of, it made it more fun for us to like talk about the experience of Wordle that day. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So although it gets seen a lot on Twitter, like most people I think aren't sharing their results on Twitter. They're sharing them with like friends and family in like group chats and things like that. And it's, uh, Wordle has emerged, like I get a ton of emails and people, I got one yesterday from someone saying they have a teenage son, they're finding it hard to connect with him. Like Wordle is something the father and the son do together each day. And I was just like, oh my, Aww. oh my word, that's amazing. And and just like, it's such a low, like you say, it's a, it is fairly easy, like it wants you to succeed, you know, but it's just difficult enough where it feels challenging and you feel a sense of accomplishment. And so um, having it be able to be shared in in like with friends and family is just a really low effort way of checking in and letting people know you care about them. And, you know, there's something to dis new to discuss each day if you want to. Yeah, that's really nice. So uh, since Wordle went viral, it has inspired a seemingly endless array of spoofs and knockoffs. Um, and some of those Wordle clones are, are pretty creative, I gotta say. I've seen, uh, Swerdle, where the answers are all swear words. And then there's Queerdle, which puts a, a gay spin on the game. And then there's Absurdle, which is an adversarial game that tries to make you guess for as long as possible. Uh, I'm just curious what you make of all of these, uh, let's call them homages. Uh, and do you have any favorites of these Wordle clones that you've seen? Uh, no, I love them. As a someone who creates stuff, like to see people so inspired by something that you created that they want to riff on it, that's like amazing. That makes me feel so good. One that you didn't mention that I've really enjoyed is quite, I don't know how you say it, it's like letterly or letterly. Oh, I saw have you that, seen that? One. And it's uh -huh. just one letter each day. You've got 26 guesses. You have to guess which letter it is. And it produces an emoji grid for you, but it's just like a long string of all your misses and then the final agreed. I thought that was quite uh, quite good satire. So yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I really like them. The, the adversarial stuff is very interesting, I think, like the way they go about it. And I think that's part of the appeal of Wordle, right? Like it's got people who just want to play, who've never played a word game before, enjoy it. But people who want to go really deep on it and they're thinking about like the statistical analysis and like letter frequencies and things like that, there's something for them there as well. So it's like really managed to appeal to all these different kinds of, uh, of people. Yeah. So now that Wordle is being played by millions, we're seeing some people get cranky about it, of course. Uh, and we heard about similar reactions when we interviewed Sam Azerski about the spelling bee, since that's a game where people love to complain about which words are included and acceptable and which ones aren't. 
Um, there was a bit of a tizzy among the British players of Wordle when the answer one day was favor, spelled the American way without a U, so it would be five letters. Do you pay attention to any of that, or are you just happy people are playing? So uh, the word list is another one of those things that I think I put a fair amount of effort into. Actually, my partner and I, we collaborated on it. Like I said, the first time I made the game, it just used every five-letter word, and, and I think it wasn't very fun because... Uh, I try and think about it. If the first time you play Wordle, the answer is a word you've never heard of, I think you would feel cheated. Like I think the game would feel unfair. And so we put a fair amount of effort filtering, like they're around, I don't know, 13,000 five letter words. And we put a fair amount of effort into filtering those down into a subset of around 2,500 solution words that can be the solution any day. And the way we did that actually was I built another game before this one, which was, it took all 13,000 five-letter words and uh, it displayed a, a word and it displayed three buttons. I know this word. I don't know this word. I kind of maybe know this word. And my partner, she just wanted a mindless game. She was going through some tough times. She just wanted something she could sit down and mindlessly do it. So she categorized all 13,000 words. Uh, wow. <laughs> you know, and then, and then I, because I'm making the game for her, you know, it's like very uh, focused on what she knows and doesn't know. And then we took that and like revised it a bit further. Um, so I was chatting with her this morning actually about like, how do you feel about the favor thing? And she was like, I'm American. You made the game for me. Of course. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a love story at go. the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But what is interesting is the assumptions people make. Like people assume yeah. that no British spelling will appear as a solution, mm. which, um, how are the Americans going to feel when, yeah. uh, when and if that happens? So uh, Stay tuned, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> there, there is an element of it, because I made the game for she and I, I don't actually know what the word is going to be tomorrow, because if I did, I wouldn't be able to play the game. So I, mm. we filtered all those words down, I randomized them, and that's it, I don't look at them. So I live in fear, actually, <laughs> that tomorrow is going to be something heinous, and it's going to like really upset someone or, you know, maybe a really bad word, you know, or just obscure words slip through the filtering somehow. We had, uh, I think it's Masse, M-A-S-S-E with an accent. It's a type of billiards shot, which I'd never heard Whoa. of. And I think that that slipped through our filtering somehow. And uh, that was in the early days. The New Zealand contingent got very upset. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I totally understand. So, yeah. So it's also really fascinating to see how people take different approaches to playing. You know, some people use a different starting word every day and some, you know, there are these computationally minded people out there who are trying to figure out the optimal gameplay, um, starting with words that do the best job at narrowing down the guesses. The, the linguists um, and the computer scientists yeah. have yeah, different exactly. approaches for this, apparently. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know, you, you give us personal stats so we can all obsess over our stats. I know I do. Um, are you also keeping track of the player stats behind the scenes? And it, um, have you noticed any interesting results from that, from data that you've collected on the play? Uh, so I am. Basically, I'm collecting. When you finish it in three, I know that someone somewhere finished it in three. I don't know anything else about you. But I haven't done anything with that data because I've been far too busy. <laughs> to get, like I have a full-time job and, and stuff. But the idea was maybe after each day I could share how the previous day had gone for everyone and so you could put yourself against people globally but I'm kind of wary about that stuff you know it's like 
then people, it makes it more competitive or makes it more competitive with other people versus competitive with yourself or even just, I'm fine with people competing with their friends and family, but when it kind of gets, there's a, if there was a global leaderboard, I don't know, I worry about people's motivations there. So um, maybe I'll do something in the future, but no, no immediate plans. Yeah, let's let's keep it a little more friendly, I guess, for the moment. <laughs> well, Josh Wardle, thank you for joining us today. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? No, I don't think so. This has been amazing. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for being with us. And after the break, it's time for some wordplay of our own. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome back. Now it's the time in the show where we play with language. For our wordplay quiz this week, we're very pleased to be joined by listener Penelope Lee of Stratum, New Hampshire. Welcome to the show, Penelope. Hi. Thank you. Penelope is the winner of a previous wordplay challenge. And if you'd like an opportunity to come on and be quizzed by us, stay tuned for a new listener challenge at the end of the segment. Penelope, do you enjoy word games and puzzles? I do. I do the crossword every day. Awesome. So you're a dedicated quizzer. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. And I have to say, I really like your name. And, you know, your first name, it, it lends itself to wordplay. You may have noticed over the course of your life that, you know, Penelope can be divided into two words, pen and elope. Is that something that has occurred to you? <laughs> I never noticed elope before, but I've been called many different things. Sure. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> Penelope. Right. Well, you know, uh, do you do cryptic crosswords at all? Are you familiar with the cryptic crossword? I'm familiar with them. I don't have not done a lot of them. I saw a recent clue in a cryptic crossword that went like this. Penelope sent the writer away to marry without a fuss. And, you know, with that, the writer there is a clue for pen. So if you send pen away from Penelope, you're left with the word meaning to marry without a fuss or elope. Right. <laughs> and Here's another fun fact. If you replace the word pen in your name with the name of an animal, you get the name of another animal. Can you figure that out? Oh, uh, an antelope? Yeah, antelope. antelope. Okay, you're going to you're going to kill this. You're great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So right, yeah, you take ant uh, and you replace the word pen in Penelope with ant and you get antelope. And that bit of wordplay has actually inspired the quiz we'll be challenging you with. Uh, we'll call it Animal Crossing. So for each question, you're going to start with a word, like we did with Penelope. Then you'll replace a shorter word inside it with an animal name to get another animal name, like ant and antelope. How does that sound? That sounds good. I can do that. So here's your first one. Start off with a seven-letter word for a strong feeling of enthusiasm or excitement. Remove a four-letter word that's the opposite of fail, and replace it with a four-letter name of a marine mammal with flippers, and you'll get the name of another marine mammal with flippers. 
Wow, that's a lot of steps. <laughs> okay, so the first thing you said was a seven-letter word for strong feeling or of enthusiasm or excitement. Can you give me the first letter? Let's start with the second part, maybe. So think of a four-letter word that's the opposite of fail. That's pass. Right. Okay. So is there a seven-letter word that has pass in it that means enthusiasm? Passionate. Pa- okay. Passion. Passion. Cool. So then you got there. So you're removing pass and replacing that with a four-letter name of a marine mammal with flippers. Marine mammal with flippers. And that gives you the name of another marine mammal with flippers. That might make a barking sound. Sea lion? Sea lion. Sea lion. (laughs) Now we're going to start with an eight-letter word, meaning steadfast and unwavering, like a loyal supporter. We're going to take off a four-letter word for a skin blemish, replace it with the name of a big cat, and you'll end up with the name for a male horse. Male horse. Stallion. So it's stallion? Oh, okay. You're working at working this from <laughs> from uh, the end this time. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> okay, that's fine. So that's where you want to get to. So let's think of the first word where you might find a four-letter word for a skin blemish inside of it. Can you think of a four-letter word for a skin blemish? Might be associated with a witch. Wart. Okay. So an eight-letter word with wart in it would be. Stalwart. Stalwart. Remove the wart and add add lion. Lion. There you go. Yes. All right. Excellent. Stallion. So for the next one, we'll start with the seven-letter name of a pet that is similar to a gerbil. Remove a three-letter word for a pork product and replace it with the informal name of a big hopping animal. And you'll get a name for a farm animal that makes a lot of noise. Okay, this one I got. So this one starts with hamster. Is that the first one? Hamster, yeah. And then we took out then we took out the ham and added roux. And so it's rooster. Yay! <laughs> well done. You're definitely getting the hang of it now. We have one final one for you. We're going to start with a five-letter word for something that a hamster might run on. Remove a three-letter word for a long, slippery fish. Replace it with the name of a deer with big antlers, and you'll get the name of a snail with a spiral shell. So this one starts off with the thing that a hamster runs on is a wheel, right? Yes, correct. And you take the eel out, the E-E-L, and you add E-L-K. So it's whelk. That's right. You got it. And the only reason I know that is because of Animal Crossing, because there are whelks in Animal Crossing. I've never seen a whelk or heard the word in (laughs) Animal Crossing. I'll come full circle because we called the game Animal Crossing. (laughs) I know. That was good planning. Yes. Very well done, Penelope. Thank you so much for coming on and playing our quiz. Thank you. It was fun. Well, now we have an Animal Crossing challenge for all of our listeners. Start with a six-letter word for a bug that's also the name of a car. Remove a three-letter word for a bug that buzzes. Replace it with the name of a popular pet, and you'll get a term for ranch animals. Think you've got it? Send your answer to us at spectacularitslate.com with quiz in the subject line of your email. Please include the six-letter word before the switch and the six-letter word after the switch. From the correct entries, we'll randomly select a winner who will receive a Slate Plus membership for one year, or if you're already a Slate Plus member, you'll get a one-year extension on your subscription. And we may bring you on the show to face a new wordplay challenge. 
Once again, that's spectacular at slate.com with quiz in the subject line. And please respond by midnight Eastern time on January 26th. And we're very pleased to announce the winner of the contest from our January 4th episode. Meredith figured out that a word that refers to indicators or predictors of future trends would be bellwethers. And if you change the short E's to short I's, New Zealand style, you get the name of the singer, Bill Withers. Congratulations, Meredith. Thanks to Penelope Lee for joining us. That's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us while you're there. It helps other listeners find the show. And please consider subscribing to Slate Plus. Slate Plus members get benefits like full access to all the articles on Slate.com, zero ads on any Slate podcast, and bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn and One Year. It's only $1 for the first month. To learn more, go to Slate.com slash Spectacular Plus. Thanks again to Josh Wardle for being our guest this week. Spectacular Vernacular is produced by Jasmine Ellis, with help today from Kevin Bendis. Asha Saluja is managing producer for Slate Podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks with more Spectacular Vernacular. Thanks for listening.